This is Shinji Kagawa, and you are listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. Of the Yellow Wallpot, your source for all things Borussia Dortmund, and I'm your host, Stefan Butzko, as always. And I'm joined by Lars Pormann from Bleacher Report. Hello, Lars, how are you doing? Hi, Stefan, I'm pretty good as always. And it's nice to hear I'm doing fine as well. And we are here to talk about Borussia Dortmund's 2 2 draw against Real Madrid that saved them the top of the Champions League Group F, it was, I think. And we are also here to preview the next Bundesliga match in part two that will be against Erste FC Köln, a team Dortmund hasn't looked too good in recent seasons. But uh, yeah, without any further ado, Lars, let's talk about Borussia Dortmund claiming a point at the Bernabeu that uh, sees them with 14 points in the Champions League group. And they set also a record, 21 goals in the Champions League group, never happened before. So Lars, as always, I will ask you about the general takeaways. Well, first of all, I think we have to extend our thanks to uh, Legia Warsaw for both uh, topping the group and the goals record, seeing as they scored 14 of their 21, so two-thirds of their goals against Legia, and Legia also, I still don't exactly know how they managed to pull it off, but they stole a point from uh, from Real, uh, which gave Dortmund the, the advantage going into yesterday, and talking about that game, the many people before the the match uh, assumed it could be a bit of a snooze fest seeing as both teams had already qualified and especially for Real it was uh, actually preferable to come in second uh, and not win the group because of uh, the opponents they can face in the next round seeing as they can't be drawn against other Spanish teams so for them to come in second was uh, the, the better option and it could have been Somewhat of a snooze fest, but uh, to the credit of both teams, it was actually a pretty pretty intense game for the most part, a pretty fun game, especially in the second half when Dortmund got better uh, offensively. And from a Dortmund perspective, I think it's really encouraging that they came back from two goals down against Real. Archie Runtut actually posted that Borussia Dortmund is the first team to be 2-0 down at Real Madrid and not lose in 14 years, which is a remarkable stat. So sorry, uh, on, last on, on both you. accounts, actually, I think because uh, uh, as Dortmund uh, followers over the last few years, I think we've all seen that a two lead, a two goal lead can be a bit of a problem for some teams because they get too complacent. So not dropping points from that lead for what fourteen years, you said. I mean, that's really remarkable for them as well. But uh, as I said, there's uh, I think a lot to to gain from uh, that match for Dortmund, not necessarily. The performance in and of itself, I think they could have been better, especially in the first half. They were, I think, a bit uh, awestruck or a bit overwhelmed, perhaps with the occasion, a few of the guys at least. But uh, just the result and getting another positive result against arguably the, the, the hardest opposition they face all season, especially away from home, that's really encouraging. And 
we've talked so much about Dortmund needing to find some consistency and uh, a, a result like a 2-2 draw when you're down uh, with uh, two goals with half an hour to go. That's something they can really build upon. All right, so let's talk about the beginning of the match. And uh, you already said that some players looked awestruck. I think especially Dembele and also Julian Weigel to some extent were culprits of doing exactly that or being exactly that. Um, how surprised were you when you saw the lineup? Quite shocked, actually. I'm uh, shocked as far as uh, being shocked at a lineup uh, of Thomas Tuchel's can go because I think most everyone expected them to stay with the back three, back five hybrid that had given them a modicum of defensive stability against both uh, Bayern Munich and uh, the, the Bundesliga match against Borussia Mönchengladbach the week before or the a few days before. And uh, seeing as uh, Real and Bayern are somewhat similar in their approach these days, uh, after the Pep Guardiola days at the Allianz Arena, I had thought, and I think many people thought that uh, sticking with the back five would work the best, uh, giving them the most stability and, uh, you know, a lot of width uh, for whenever they won the ball and uh, try to play counterattacks. But I guess at the end of the day, the, the back four worked okay. I don't think the the defense it's in, in in itself was the problem for the game. I think it was more the, the general inaccuracy of their play, especially... In the opponent's half, in the first half, they lost too many balls far too easily and uh, gave Real the chance to play the transition game, which they do exceptionally well with, uh, you know, James and Ronaldo and Bonzema and even Vasquez, who I think had a pretty good game. They they have a lot of firepower in those moments, a lot of intelligent players also, not only the, the physicality, but they know how to position themselves in counter-attacking situations or in general transitional game. Situation so uh, Dortmund gave them too many opportunities in the first half of those, and I think when the goal came it was about the 28th minute or so. I think everyone kind of kind of knew that something was coming because they they had given up too much uh, of uh, the dominance in midfield. Let's say. Yeah, I think the the first moment where the momentum switched a little bit in the game. I think the first couple of minutes Dortmund had way more of the ball and if it wasn't for their lexidesical passing, I'm, I'm pretty sure they would have, you know, created some big chances. And I think it was Schule who came on the end of, of one shot but fired it, you know, over the over the bar. But uh yeah, when Casimiro had that excellent sliding tackle on, on Castro who was just <laughs> waltzing through the midfield uh, not really aware of, of the danger uh, that was probably the, the first counter-attack that, that yielded in the Weidenfeller safe and a couple of minutes later it was Bonzema who, who scored and uh, there was quite of a bit of discussion on that goal uh, and who was to blame a lot of people pointed their fingers at Marcel Schmelzer others at André Schöler uh, Again, others at Castro even. So, Lars, where do you point your finger? I think it's one of those goals where you can't really say a single player was at fault. It's a, a team effort to cover that space. I mean, Schmelzer pushed uh, high up the pitch to press. Was it Vasquez? Uh, probably was him just because of the position on the pitch. And Might have been Cavajal too, but I'm no, not the, the Cavajal uh, actually played the pass afterwards and, and ran into that space. So... Whoever it was, it doesn't even matter. Uh, Schmelzer pushing up high has to automatically lead to either 
Schöle dropping a bit deeper to cover uh, his shadow or uh, one of the central midfielders. I don't know who was closer to the situation of Weigel and Castro to drop out there. Maybe even Bartra should have uh, stepped out a bit to cover that space, but nobody picked it up. So Carvajal had that open run with acres of space and everyone in this Real Madrid side has so much quality on the ball that you can't give them that much space and The problem was not also uh, not only on the on the left side of the fence for Dortmund, but also I think Pischek failed to stay with Bonzema, uh, at least uh, sticking uh, with him and contesting the uh, the finish would have perhaps made the difference. But uh, Pischek just kind of let him go. So uh, as I, as I said before, it's not really one of those where I would point my thing, finger at one guy, but just blame the overall team effort and maybe the the communication when Schmelzer stepped forward there. Someone should have picked that up and they didn't. And that's something that we've seen a few times this season. I think Ruhr recently had an article uh, covering only the Bundesliga, but uh, I think we can transfer the, the info. They conceded like 10 of 14 at the time goals from their left defensive side and We all know that Marcel Schmelzer is very intelligent and it's not only, not necessarily only his fault that they concede all those goals from those side, from that side. So feels to me like there's too often a, a lack of communication, uh, especially on the left, perhaps, uh, because they've really shuffled a lot, uh, on, on both left back and the left winger spot because of injuries this season. Yeah. That brings me to our latest segment on the show, which is called good rotation, bad rotation. And now, since things aren't working out, we can say bad rotation and blame it on the lack of automatism. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, on a, on a more serious note, I concur with you that, uh, um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily one guy. Um, how did you see Bartra? Uh, because he was, uh, <laughs> I don't know, on, on his tippy toes a little bit when, he, when he tracked back, not really sure whether to stay with his marker, which was Ronaldo, or close on Cavajal, and then once he made the decision, it was more or less already too late, although I think he got nutmegged, so a little bit unlucky there still, but, um, you know, talking about Batra maybe a little bit in general, because I think there was a lot of focus on him going into the game with this Barcelona pass, uh, what what do you make of him and, and his game against Madrid? Well, there was certainly that focus on him, because he has that Barcelona pass, he's a La Masia graduate and all that, but it was actually, uh, everyone remembers his one Classico where he uh, let Bale run past him uh, outside of the actual playing surface, uh, but that was actually his only Classico uh, experience uh, for Barcelona, he never played that big a role that he played in the biggest matches, so he didn't have that much experience against Real, and I think he was a bit jumpy, Uh, you said he was on his tippy toes in that situation. I think he uh, was perhaps a bit overexcited also. He had a, a number of bad first touches that almost gave the ball away. He pushed very high up the pitch early on, <laughs> which, which oh, yeah. at, at times exposed the the rest of the defense. I don't know if he forgot that it wasn't a back five or back three as in a few of the recent games. I've been really impressed with him early in this season. Then he got injured, and I think uh, at the moment he's a bit out of all sorts. He he still has enough quality on the ball to warrant a selection over Matthias Ginter, who I don't think is a much better center half uh, himself. But I think 
they really now could use someone with more experience and a, a little more calmness, especially defensively, because it feels like Barta gives away a few chances every game with nervy clearances. Like we saw the, the Gladbach goal was, I would say, his mistake and not Weidenfelder who should have saved it. Uh, and the same happened against Real a few times where Barta could have, with with more ease, cleared the ball, but he was nervy and I think, as I said, they 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 could really use uh, another experienced center back right now. So Sven Bender might be back in a few games. Maybe he can play one or two games before the winter break. And I wouldn't be too surprised to see Bartra come back much better after the winter break when he can, you know, digest his first half season in Dortmund and, and get coached up in the tra- in the training camp and whatnot. But right now he's he's a bit disappointing to me yeah i have a similar sentiment and <laughs> yeah i do remember was it in the first five minutes or so where he carried the ball forwards only to give it away and then everyone was literally exposed um so yeah that that happened but um you know apart from defensive frailties um we can also maybe talk a little bit about bursal uh yeah approach to the game because you know you mentioned it not a back five, but a back four, and uh, they looked quite okay in possession against Real. And, uh, and you said Bayern Munich uh, now resemble more Real Madrid. Thomas Suchel said it too, and um, I would agree to some extent. But I feel watching Dortmund play against Real Madrid, they look far more comfortable on the ball than against Bayern Munich. What, what's your impression there? Well, I don't know that. It wasn't just them knowing that both uh, a, a, a win, a draw, or you know a defeat wouldn't have been terrible, seeing as they had already qualified. And for Dortmund, I don't think it made much of a difference coming in second or first. It was really more about prestige and wanting to get a positive result in a big spot. Uh, you know, in in terms of just the venue and the situation, you don't. Most of these players will not get too many chances of of playing at the Santiago Bernabeu in the Champions League. So they they made it count, but I don't know that they really were that much more comfortable uh, in the in the first meeting, for example. I think they... And in that game as well, they uh, allowed much of the dominance to be on Real's side, which, I mean, in, in the first meeting, they had uh, Kroos and Modric on the pitch. Uh, in, the, in the second meeting, Kroos only came on later, but Modric alone is a player who can really dominate a game uh, from midfield, so it's not like I would uh, really blame Dortmund for looking a bit out of their depths uh, for some stretches of the game. I think, generally speaking, Real are uh, vastly underrated as a side. I think they are clearly the best side in European football right now. So uh, I wouldn't, just in general... Uh, talk too badly about Dortmund's performance. I think it was okay, even in the in the phases where they didn't look too great in the first half, especially. No, definitely. I I, I was actually trying to lead up to the point that it looked encouraging at times that they uh, played with a yeah with a lot of courage themselves, and I think it it takes a lot of courage to to play the way Dortmund played against Real Madrid, you know, at the Bernabeu. So that's something positive for them and maybe their self-understanding and their their own identity as a possession-based side. Um, Before I go over and lot more players 
Lars, I feel like I have to harp on a little bit on Mr. André Schöle. I am not impressed right now with his showings. Uh, might be, of course, inflicted by the injury he suffered not too long ago and that he also needs some time to get in form. But I feel like his decision making, his first touch and overall his, his body movement and positioning are all a little bit off. And uh, there's there's just a sense of disappointment right now. It might be connected to the hefty fee Dortmund paid. I mean, 30 million was the record signing. Or maybe it's just because I compare him to how Marco Royce behaves when uh, he comes on for Schöle. But uh, right now, I don't don't think that Schöle, who was probably bought for for those games, especially against Real Madrid, where Dortmund maybe play a little bit more in the transition, uh, that that he is not really you know making a huge difference. I mean, yes, he almost scored that free kick. Was would have been a little bit lucky, but it was a good free kick and. Uh, Yeah, he had a couple of cracks on goal, but other than that, uh, I didn't really think he supported his men in attack too much. I don't know what what's your what's your two cents on that, Lars? Am I too harsh on him? No, I think it's fair. I think he hasn't been great recently. I mean, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt uh, in terms of his own injury that took a lot out of him. I think he was better earlier on in the season. Uh, maybe it's also, as you said, the comparison to a player such as Marco Reus, who's in unbelievable form coming back from his injury for the first time ever. And the <laughs> the continued development of Dembele and uh, Pulisic, who both had pretty good second halves uh, on Wednesday. I think Schürrle is just not a player that will excite you uh, sometimes because his technique is questionable at times. His first touch, as you mentioned, was terrible against Real this time around and It, he's uh, the kind of player who who will just look out of his depths uh, from time to time just because his qualities are aren't really you know uh, on the same level as or on the same same page as the the qualities of most other Dortmund attackers. So he he just sticks out like a sore thumb when he has a bad day. So I think he had one of those against Real. Generally speaking, uh, we all uh, or regular listeners know that. I didn't really approve of signing him for 30 million, but I kind of understand why they did it and they really needed him in some of the games he's played in already. So mm -hmm. don't want to be too negative about it. And, and the, no, the, obviously the, the, I, I think we have to mention that, you know, scoring a goal, having an injured knee against Real Madrid in the, in the return or in a, in a, in a reverse fixture was massive for Dortmund to actually top the group. So, you know, that's very, very, valuable for for the club yeah and he had the picture. had the two assists in the win over mines for example so it's it's not like he hasn't contributed anything it's just as i said sometimes a player like schuler will will really stick out because everyone else is on a higher technical level and that was the case bar gonzalo castro who i think was the worst <laughs> player on the pitch by yeah. far and, and that was difficult because marcelo didn't care about the game uh, especially in the second half so I mean, Castro's inaccuracies were so maddening uh, in in this game, and he had so many instances where he could have made an impact where he just didn't. Uh, so I think Castro was the, in my my opinion, Castro is was a worse player than than Schöle in this match, which says yeah, a lot. Yeah, I was I was really close to giving him a rating like three or four. The only thing that stopped me is that he actually made a couple of good challenges defensively. You know, that he at least contributed in a positive way there. So I was like, mm, okay, 
let's give him an, an average rating, but uh, if you rate him <laughs> in terms of frustration levels, it's a it's a 11 out of 10 in this game because, as you said, you know, it's it's also just so so teasing because his he's not that you know not that inaccurate, but inaccurate enough that. The passes are just astray or, or just a little bit wide. I think we all remember the moment when uh, Pulisic was played in and cut it back to um, to Castro. It was more or less a one-two, but Castro's pass just took Pulisic out out wide, and you know, otherwise he would have maybe had a way better scoring position himself. So you know, all these little inaccuracies are just so frustrating because you just see what kind of potential there is, and I think there was a. Four and two situation for Dortmund where Castro also played a ball out wide and, you know, yielded in nothing. So yeah, just overly frustrating. Um, yeah, let's move over to the second half unless you have anything to add to the first half. Oh. And, uh, talk a little bit about Borussia Dortmund's, uh, tactical changes. Uh, for example, Pischek played a little bit more centrally, uh, in the second half. I think that was the idea to, to, Breakthrough Real's pressing a little bit with Piszczek advancing a little bit more because he enjoyed a lot of freedom on the ball. So that looked good, but Dortmund did a couple of other things last. I'm not actually sure what you're referencing there, so maybe you just point them out. I think they just positioned themselves a little bit higher up the field, but uh, I'm not sure whether that was a tactical, uh, a tactical <laughs> Commando from Mr. Tuchel or whether that was just Dortmund, uh, getting more space from Real. So I'm not, I'm not too, too sure on, on that. But, uh, yeah, that certainly had Dortmund a little, to, to have a little bit more control. And I think in the first five minutes of the second half, they were also close to, to creating a massive scoring opportunity. But then again, it was Real who scored a couple of minutes later. I don't even remember it fully, but I think Weidenfeller made an awesome save and then the ball went out to the, to the left side where was it? Hamas played the ball in again for Ben, Benzema. Yeah. Uh, first, I think it was another. It, it either a wayward clearance of Bartra or some other mistake because I only yeah. remember thinking, man, Bartra, what are you doing? And, and then that, that was uh, before the, the Bonzema chance when Weidenfeller made that awesome save, uh, when Bonzema was really close range and arguably could have done a bit better, but they, uh, didn't really clear the ball away, uh, properly and they also failed to get numbers in the, into the box. So Hamas had a, relatively open cross and uh, Bonzema split the double team of I think it was Batra and Schmelzer in uh, the six yard box and you know from that distance uh, he won't miss uh, two chances in a row so nothing Weidenfeller could do about it and it was just another uh, relatively cheap goal to give away which you know against Real a side that is so good you you shouldn't uh, do <laughs> so Bonzema Probably the best player on the pitch could have had four or five goals on the day. And if not for Weidenfeller, the, the comeback that was to be later on wouldn't have happened. So kudos to him after really not seeing too much of him in the last few games. Yeah, he was really much maligned, but uh, I think he really pulled himself out of there. And he said himself that the Bernabeu sort of suits him. He likes the atmosphere there. Roman Weidenfeller with a vintage performance. It was really good and encouraging to see, especially for the, for the next games going forward. 
I hope that he can uh, repeat that and get some more consistency in, into that. But yeah, also kudos to uh, James Cross because I think that was pretty good. There, I mean, it was just so accurate. Even if there was a marker close to Bonzoma, it would have always been hard to keep that away because it just landed perfectly on his head. But uh, yeah, I think with 2-0 down, as you said before, most teams would probably give up, but Dortmund didn't. And this is probably the biggest takeaway, the resilience, let's call it, in that in that Dortmund team. And uh, I mean, they said after the game, I think Unisono, that everyone saw that they could create chances, that they could hurt Madrid, and hence they never really gave up. And yeah, they are, they are also allowed them to be open. And Julian Weigel, who didn't have his first uh, or his best first half hour, um, played an amazing ball to Schmelzer, who yeah played it first time to Aubameyang for for the goal. Uh, I don't know about Julas, but I enjoyed the first goal almost more than Dortmund's second goal. Yeah, I I don't know about that, but it was certainly a, another vintage, uh, if we want to call it that, Dortmund goal <laughs> of of last season because there were so many instances where they. Played a lock pass to a fullback, making a, a, a well-timed run toward the goal line, and then a simple, or it wasn't actually a simple ball because it was uh, first time, as you mentioned it, uh, but more or less a cutback pass to a, a striker with much of an open goal, and you know, Aubameyang wouldn't miss that chance in in the form he's in. I think he's now had scored like nine goals in five matches plus 20 minutes against Legia since the start of November. So his awesome form, uh, Weigel's really well-timed pass, Schmelzer's perfect run, you know, that, that goal was unstoppable and maybe maybe even better than the second just because it required so much accuracy from all three of those guys. Yeah, certainly. I mean, the, the second goal was a fast-paced counter-attack and those are always easy on the eye if they work out, but... You know, there was just a little bit more finesse about the first goal and, uh, yeah, that was really well carved out. So I'm, I'm really glad that Dortmund managed to, to pull one back. You know, I think that was a, that was a positive moment for them and, and for the entire game because they certainly knew they could, they could at least tie it at, at this moment. And, um, I think it's also the perfect time to talk a little bit about Borussia Dortmund's bench. Yeah. I mean, they, they, uh, sorry, Stefan, um, they, before the the kickoff after the goal, uh, they brought on Royce and Moore, who would later on uh, produce the the group winning goal. So, was the perfect moment to introduce them. They came on for Schöle, who, as we talked about, didn't have a great game, and Pulisic, who I think had a much better second half after getting dominated by Marcelo in the first half. And he started to win one on ones, but he was tiring, as you could see. And you know. Uh, it's such a big moment for an 18-year-old. We tend to forget <laughs> uh, Pulisic's uh, young age at times and because he's picked up a lot of valuable experience over the, the last few months. But I think it was a, a good moment to bring on fresh legs for him. And, you know, we've talked a lot about Marco Reus in the last few weeks and why wouldn't we when when he has such an impact coming off the bench in, in against Real? And, I mean... Not only did he score the goal, but he again was so good in counter pressing and he gave the team such a presence in the attacking uh, third after Schulle had failed to do so. And you know, you just see, and I think some of the, the guys, I think Socrates talked about it, for example, you just see there's such a boost for the entire team when Marco Reus comes on at the moment. So 
that was the perfect opportunity to do that, especially after the goal, because they already had the, the morale boost of getting one back and then introducing Royce and fresh legs in more. I mean, that's really exciting for Dortmund. Yeah, it is. It is. And, uh, you know, I also want to talk about the Dortmund bench in, in this particular game. But, you know, the last couple of games, I think, since a couple of players returned from injury, and of course, Marco Royce is, is a perfect example of that, uh, you know, with a little bit, little bit more depth, Tuchel could really make a lot of difference by bringing in guys. I mean, it was against against Frankfurt. It was Dembele who came off the bench and and really you know reinvigorated Dortmund's midfield uh, against Gladbach. It wasn't really needed, but nevertheless, I think Pulisic who who came on in the last twenty minutes or so, uh, you know, he really plowed through the through the Gladbach players and and yeah, just toyed with them basically. And and again against uh, Real Madrid, as you just described, you know, Royce comes on. And makes things happen. And I think this is very important going forward that Dortmund, you know, we, we, we can look at the, at the bench and see Ginter, Rode, Durm and, and so on. So, you know, there are players who probably don't make the biggest difference attacking wise, but nevertheless, Dortmund now have options and, and the, the big squad in a lot of depth that even when integral parts like Mario Götze aren't even around or Shinji Kagawa, who can also play a, positive role maybe not so much as a substitute but you know in in general his counter pressing and and his skills when they work out on their day are also very valuable to the team so and not to mention Rafael Guerrero of course who is a big mess <laughs> then then uh, it's it's really good to know that Dortmund yeah can really kickstart things from the bench maybe especially in games where things aren't going their way that they have another yeah x factor let's say it from the substitutes and I can understand Tuchel why he advocates for having maybe a couple of more substitutions or at least the entire bench there available the entire squad to for, for substitution um so last the 2-2 draw is obviously the big story here but uh, we cannot let it go unmentioned that even after Dortmund scored Real Madrid had a couple of glaring opportunities I would call it where they should have and could have sealed the win um what do you make of that like as so so it's not really surprising that Real Madrid obviously can produce these chances but uh, you know with with all the praise for Dortmund we still maybe have to warn about their defensive malaise yeah i'm not even sure i would go there i think it was just a moment uh, in which both teams decided to have a real go at the at winning the game because they both knew that uh, losing wouldn't have huge repercussions uh, Real uh, obviously also had the club record in terms of uh, games without defeat to play for, uh, which they've now matched with the draw. But I think both sides kind of just wanted to have a little, a, a bit of fun on the playing field, and that was really nice to see for for the viewers. I think it was a, a very nice to watch match in the second half, up and up and down the field, end to end stuff without much, uh, you know. <laughs> it Bore. was basically Dortmund against Liga Warsaw all over again, just with more quality. Yeah, maybe maybe that's a good way to describe it. And I mean, as you said, Real will create a number of opportunities, especially with Dortmund playing a more attacking-minded uh, playing style in the second half. So, you know, it's impossible to keep them out for too long. And, you know, Weidenfeller did very well in some one-on-ones, which uh, still is his big strength, I think. Yeah, they were a, a little lucky that uh, Ronaldo only hit the post, but you know, after keeping him in check for most of the game, they 
perhaps deserved that bit of luck. So special mention to Marcel Schmelzer here who uh, <laughs> frustrated him really in, in, into in uh, in, into a second uh, at least bookable offense, maybe even a second incident that should have uh, brought on a red card after uh, Ronaldo also. I don't quite remember what it was, but he had some one of those incidents in the first half, in the first game against Schmelzer, and now in the second half he had a, a small kick out. I mean, I I'm not advocating for him to be banned uh, retroactively or anything, but you know, it's it's nice to see that uh, a player who doesn't always get the credit, especially on the international level, such as Schmelzer, can can be such a nuisance to a guy like Ronaldo that he feels the need to uh, act out in that way. So, yeah, as you said, props to Schmelzer, who, whatever his role in the first goal was, I think he was arguably uh, one of the, the two or three best players for Dortmund in the game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you you posted a nice Twitter <laughs> comic on, on, on the internet, uh, you know, with, with things Schmelzer finds in his pocket after the game. I think it was keys. Some change and Cristiano Ronaldo, which I laughed about. So, um, yeah, that, that was totally fun to watch. And especially because it took a happy end. I don't know, Lars, if you want to do it or whether I should do it. Talk us through that second goal of Borussia Dortmund. I don't know that there's so much to say about it. I mean, Marcelo really careless with the ball high up the pitch when he could have just played in the cross. I don't know whether he wanted to or whether he was unsure, uh, whether to go to the, uh, corner stick or not but you know he had the opportunity to play and across didn't do it allowing Emre Moore who was pretty relentless to win the ball <clears throat> he uh, sprinted toward the halfway line saw Aubameyang uh, getting ready for a run with I think it was Sergio Ramos covering yep. him and you know Ramos fairly good not great center half uh, better at scoring goals than keeping others from doing so if I may say so um <laughs> he will not keep up with Aubameyang I think had it been Varane I don't think the goal uh, would have happened in that way but it was Aubameyang uh, more released him perfectly and then you know Aubameyang in full tilt Royce splitting another double team in the middle uh, of Varane and Carvajal and you know simple, relatively simple because it, he, he as Torres said played it almost a split second too late Aubameyang did but uh, it it reached Royce in the middle, uh, left-footed finish, I think, while falling down. So it wasn't as easy as it could have been. But, you know, in the form those two are in, that was always going to be a goal. The second uh, more released Aubameyang so perfectly. So <laughs> a, a really nice goal in my in my humble opinion. Yeah, definitely. Although there's one tiny grain of salt that I thought to myself, a different goalkeeper and probably especially... Manuel Neuer might have saved that because uh, Navas went down himself making, you know, or opening up the entire top half of the goal because Roy still was very centrally and not too far away from the goalkeeper. So, you know, with with a different approach to, to Royce and, and the ball, that shot might have been saved. But, you know, that's just speculation on my behalf and not really interesting on, on that point. Um, last... Before we move on to the Bundesliga, any of the clubs you want to draw um, or you want to see Dortmund play play against? Uh, I think it was Benfica, PSG, Man City, Sevilla, Porto, those five who Dortmund yes. can draw. So there's about a 50% chance because of a number of permutations that 
I quite frankly don't all understand, but you know, teams can't be drawn against uh, teams from the same country in the round of 16, which I think is a stupid rule that should uh, be abolished by now. Uh, but nevertheless, it means uh, they have about a 50% chance to meet either Man City or Sevilla, which uh, I would argue are the two toughest draws, seeing as PSG aren't really themselves, uh, themselves at this stage of the season with the new coach. Well, you never really, know what happens yeah, after you, the winter break, you, though. I mean, uh, with PSG, you also have to uh, keep in mind that they have so much money that the squad could change a bit. But then again, you can't play... Uh, or There are cup-tied players in the Champions League now, so, uh, you know, they can't add players of the highest quality, I would say. So I wouldn't be too scared about that. But I think I would like to see them... Uh, If I want them to go through, I want them to see. Uh, well, I want to see them against Porto again because they already played against them and, and dispatched of them relatively easily in the Europa League last season. But I think uh, from a from a pure football perspective, the Sevilla would be the the most interesting one just because they have uh, Jorge Sampaoli as a head coach and his system is really different to what most good teams in Europe play, and he's just. Uh, a bit loco, uh, so see, <laughs> it, it would just be interesting to see the tactical battle between Sampaoli and Tuchel, and you know, I, I could also live with the uh, Gundogan, Pep Guardiola angle uh, against Man City. Uh, I think the the Champions League, especially, but also some of the the Bundesliga games, have shown that Dortmund, on their good day, they will be at least level with all the five possible draws, and on a bad day, they could go out even against. Uh, Porto, who arguably are the the weakest of those five sides, so I'm I'm not really one to make wishes for for draws or so. So I'm I'm just looking forward to to the knockout stages in general because I think Dortmund, as a team in uh, this season, could really do some damage in the Champions League, especially because they seem to need the big occasion to play their best. So that could be interesting come uh, the new year. Yeah, definitely. I think if if uh, there's one point to make about Sevilla, uh, a lot of Dortmund fans will remember Dortmund playing them in the Euro League in 2010, and that was one of the most annoying games ever to endure, especially away to Sevilla, where uh, those time-wasting antiques were bigger than ever before, and uh, I don't think I've ever seen a team waste so many minutes in one game ever again, so... You know that that would be maybe a nice revenge plot, <laughs> although I'm I'm pretty sure the the narrative won't be as strong as I still carry it in my heart. <laughs> um, but otherwise, I think as you said, they have good chances against every team. Although I I think beating Manchester City will be hard, but um, you know, you never know. I mean, Tuchel has been <laughs> outcoached by Pep Guardiola before, so. We we will just see. So I, I guess with that we can knock it on the head and uh, segue over to our Bundesliga preview against Cologne after this. We are back with the Bundesliga segment. It's Borussia Dortmund against Cologne. It's sixth against seventh. 
And uh, last, I don't know, do you have to lift your arm because the BVB roller coaster is going back down again? Uh, no, I don't think so because Cologne, uh, they were much better, you know, like six weeks ago or, or maybe four weeks ago. They, their last few performances from what I've seen uh, weren't as great or as stable defensively. Before the last match day in the Bundesliga, they had the best defensive record alongside uh, PSG in all of Europe. But then Hoffenheim came along, and even though that wasn't really a 4-0 game for Hoffenheim, it could easily have been a, like a 1-1 a or maybe a 2-1 win for Hoffenheim because they had a, a few better chances from what I saw. You know, Cologne, mostly because of the, the injury problems to a lot of key players for them. Uh, I'm sure you can list some of the guys that will be out presumably on Saturday. Yeah, they they just don't really look the same to me. So even though Cologne hasn't been the the greatest of spots for Dortmund in recent years, having lost the two last uh, away trips uh, to Cologne, I think Dortmund can be somewhat uh, confident of a good result on Saturday. Yeah, against Cologne, Dortmund scored the last direct free kick <laughs> in the form of Marco Reus. Um, I don't know, Lars, before we talk maybe about Cologne's injury list, do you expect Reus to start against Cologne after just playing 30 minutes against Real? I mean, he might still have the flu. I don't know what the uh, long-term effects of that are, how how his body reacted to, to the cold and, and whatnot, but he looked pretty good against uh, Real Madrid, and I assume he might actually start against Cologne. I don't know. What do you think? I hope he does because he's looked so good and uh, if I'm not mistaken they have a, a full week off after the Cologne match before they face I don't know <laughs> Augsburg I think uh, isn't Augsburg the 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 no it's Hoffenheim fix? yeah Hoffenheim they oh yeah Hoffenheim right Hoffenheim on Friday. Friday so it's almost a full week so I mean I'm I'm uh, obviously Tuchel often uh, is cautionary or you know acts with caution with Royce, so maybe he comes on again for the final 30 minutes, but I'm always more of the proactive approach. I like to start these players and then to see how far they can go. So if Royce uh, feels some effects of that flu from earlier in the week and has to go off after 55, 60 minutes, so be it. But uh, then he has an a bigger impact, I think, than he may have in the final 20 minutes or so. So I, I really hope he does start. But other than that, you know, Guerrero won't be back. I'm not sure we'll be uh, seeing uh, Götze, Kagawa, presumably still out, and he's uh, not really so close to the first choice 11 at the moment anyway. Uh, so I expect much of the same personnel we just saw against Real, but maybe with a few tactical changes uh, as Tuchel so often does. Yeah, I'm not too sure if Dembele will start considering he now started in two games. Um, you know, Tuchel always is also a bit cautionary with that, might hand it to more or Pulisic or whoever. But um, yeah, I don't know if, if uh, one can hear the ambulance roaming through the streets of Philadelphia right now. But uh, perfect time for me at least to read out the injury list that uh, is kind of, yeah, taking a huge toll right now on, on Cologne, I think, because they don't really have the biggest squad. I think only 21 or 23 outfield, outfield players in that squad. And obviously a side like Cologne, who are in their third Bundesliga season, don't have as much uh, depth as Dortmund. So the injuries hit hard. I think in, in goal, they uh, missed Timo Horn, of course, although I think 
Kessler, what's his first name? I always forget. Is it also Timo? Thomas. Thomas, something with a T. Uh, is doing fairly well, uh, but, you know, then it starts Matthias Lehmann. I think he's their captain right now. Is, is our Dominic Marot missed at center back? Uh, Leo Birkenkur, of course, who doesn't, <laughs> who doesn't remember him in the Dortmund shirt is also out who definitely, uh, yeah, improved a lot playing in Cologne and in Cologne and uh, was a big part of their attack. And even further, I think that rings true for Marcel Risse, who uh, ruptured an ACL, I think, and uh, yeah, is out for a very long time now. Uh, so that's very sad for Cologne because Risse is very important on their right side for their stability and, and also for the forward runs he can score a goal every now and then and more importantly he's one to tee up Anthony Modest who himself is doubtful for the game he joined team training today on Thursday but uh, yeah I'm not really sure whether he can make it or not I have a hunch that Stöger will just try and see how it, how it works out and Simon Zoller would be the natural replacement if you want to call it that for Modeste is also questionable uh, so yeah Cologne right now all sorts of troubles and uh, I listened to the podcast previously to the show who are German speaking FC Köln podcast with my dear colleague Stefan Oesfeld from ESPN FC <laughs> on there so um and those guys said that they expect Cologne to actually play a back five and just try to park the bus um Last, if I look at Dortmund right now in their current form, I think if you don't run at them and try to foul them and stifle them with a aggressive and active approach, you are in all sorts of trouble. And if Köln and Stöger are really to go through with that sort of parking the bus approach, I think they are in trouble. Yeah, I mean, uh, we can point to Luca Giel's article on yellowwallpot.com. He detailed uh, how teams that have set back against Dortmund have been punished for it, uh, whereas teams that attack them relatively high up the pitch, uh, press the press Dortmund's midfielders in the build-up or even centre-backs in the build-up, have uh, reaped the benefits. So uh, I think Cologne are in a, in, a, in a tough spot because of those injuries you mentioned. I, I'm really rate uh, Peter Stöger, Cologne's head coach, highly, and they he had good plans against Dortmund. Those wins at home were no joke and no fluke. They really were, you know, competitive against Dortmund, which, uh, I mean, in the 2014-15 season didn't say too much, but last season uh, on match day 17, that was really one of the few performances in the Bundesliga against uh, Dortmund during that uh, one-off fixtures uh, in, in, in the Bundesliga where a team really managed to stifle Dortmund for the most part. I think Dortmund's goal came off a set piece from Socrates, if I'm not mistaken. So they they usually have a good plan against Dortmund. It just may be the case that they don't have the personnel to do it this time around. So, I mean, uh, you mentioned that they are expecting a back five uh, i do too and but you know the back five can be uh, so and so i mean they they played with a back five but did put a bit of pressure on bayern in in the allianz arena winning a, a, a waypoint with a 1-1 draw that was fairly well deserved so that's one way to do it but uh, 
as you mentioned, they probably have to park the bus just because they don't have the personnel to really push Dortmund high up the pitch and the individual quality up front to then make them pay for it. So feels to me like this is uh, one of the, the games where Cologne will just dig in their heels and, and hope uh, Dortmund miss a few chances and maybe they can nick it on the counter or with a set piece or something like that. Yeah, and especially uh, when I look at, at uh, Dominic Heinz and, and Mavrai, who is their centre-back pairing, which I find actually quite good, but I also see them a little bit immobile, if if that's fair. And uh, as soon as anyone runs at them, uh, I see them in a little bit of trouble there. Um, what I would say is that teams like maybe Cologne might react a little bit worse to rotation and having key players absent than a team like Dortmund just because the overall quality in the, in the squad is a, a little bit lower and uh, I think players with lower quality need more automatism to function together. Um, that might just be a silly opinion of me, but I, I think that that holds true sometimes that there is just yeah a little bit more gelling needed for, for them. So yeah, I'm not really... Uh, seeing this game as a, as a trap game for Dortmund. And, uh, you mentioned before that Köln really had a game plan in the last couple of meetings to stifle Dortmund. But also when we think back to match day 17 of the recent season, Dortmund really had a stinker in that one. I mean, you said before the, before we re started, before we started recording that, uh, Joho Park was playing, so it wouldn't count. <laughs> and the, uh, and the brilliant, uh, Ginter Hofmann right wing axis of evil. So. Yeah. And Roman Birki also had a, Fluffer there, really weird, uh, yeah, back pass to Simon Soller, who then just scored. So Dortmund didn't exactly make it tough for Cologne to win that game, to put it this way. So I expect Dortmund at least to turn up for this. Um, they, they really have to. I mean, you, yeah. you said uh, it wasn't a trap game. They, they can't afford trap games right now. Trap games are usually. Uh, when you're the much better side, uh, also in terms of the standings, and you you might overlook an opponent, but they are right there with Cologne in the table. I mean, Dortmund have what two points more than Cologne after 13 match days. So yep, it's 24 points to 22 points. Yeah, I mean, there's really no chance that Tuchel will allow for his team to overlook this opponent. I mean, we've talked about Dortmund's need to uh, build up some sort of consistency before and they really need to start picking up some points because they don't want to uh, be, you know, sixth after or during the winter break. That's not going to be enough for them. So Yeah, they, and they, they have a away fixture in Hoffenheim coming up. Yeah, so... Oh. So. And, and I mean, Hoffenheim are also the, uh, direct opponents in the in the table, so they already dropped uh, valuable points against Frankfurt. So these fixtures are really important. And I think you and Luca talked about it last week the, or on on Monday in the in the preview for Real that Saturday is the more important day of the week. Uh, strange as as that sounds after a trip to Santiago Bernabeu, but that's the reality of Dortmund's up and down Bundesliga season so far. Yeah, they really made it for themselves that the game at the uh, I don't even know what the stadium is called right now in Cologne <laughs> Müngersdorfer Stadium or whatever you want to call it Rhein 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 Power Revier no Rhein Energiestadion Rhein Energiestadion exactly I, I, I mean, Rhein Power was the former name of the Bochum Stadion correct or Revier Power now I have it whatever uh, never <laughs> nevertheless it's it's gonna be a, a a really interesting game nevertheless I I think it it won't be 
a walk in the park. I don't I don't know about you last, but I I think Dortmund will uh will have to stretch themselves and I really do wonder. I mean, we just said they really have to win, but uh you know, maybe there is a bit of complacency creeping in after, you know, a good result against Real. I think we saw similar things happen after the Legia and Bayern match uh, against Frankfurt where Frankfurt weren't only very crisp in that game, but Dortmund also really weren't. So, um, yeah, this is, this is, uh, one aspect we will scrutinize in and after the game. So, um, Lars, any big things you would expect from the lineup changes or consistencies from Dortmund's perspective? I mean, we talked already about, uh, Reus and Götze. We just don't know whether they'll be able to start. Uh, so. That's something we just have to wait and see. Maybe the press conference on Friday gives us a, a bit of a clue. But other than that, I don't really expect too many changes. Maybe, you know, Erik Dorm could start for Piszczek or even Schmelzer just to give the, those veteran fullbacks a bit of a breather. You talked about Dembele perhaps not starting uh, so soon after uh, two important starts and, and two... Uh, performances where he didn't play uh, his usual role on the wing but had more responsibilities. You never know how such a young player copes with that, so maybe he doesn't play, but I'd be surprised if there was, you know, the the huge rotation that gets the local media talking about how Tuchel is an idiot again. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we'll see. If Park plays, I will chime in. If Park plays, I don't watch. <laughs> I mean, I, I I'll just write my you, article just for feature report from the ticker. <laughs> yeah, some, or, or I'll just read your ratings where Park is sure to get like a two out of ten, and then that's that's settled for me then. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we uh, the international media from Bonn and Dortmund, <laughs> not not in line with the with the local media, of course. So uh, yeah, we we can say that. Um, so I guess it's prediction time. And I will go first. I'm calling this a 3-1 victory for Dortmund. And now you go, Lars. I can't really see four goals in that game. Uh, you know, talking about Cologne probably sitting deep. I'm expecting more of a slugfest for uh, large parts, but Dortmund's individual quality to take a hold of the game. So 1-0 for Dortmund. Yeah, three points either way. Um, it's an early Saturday kickoff, I guess. Uh, 9.30 for me here in the States. 3.30 for you over there. Uh, so, you know, there's that. Uh, any other significant matches on the weekend you are looking forward to? I mean, uh, Bayern are playing Wolfsburg. So that's a dead rubber game, I guess. Uh, Ingolstadt against Leipzig. Anything you're expecting from that game? I'm just hoping to see Timo Werner walk again after the terrible terrible fouls he suffered from Schalke's Naldo and Fermann. It's ridiculous that these uh, two guys haven't been suspended for months, so... Yeah, really, really yeah, hoping still that, the marks that, of, of Naldo's fingers on his yeah, shoulder. I, I really hope he can get out of uh, the, the wheelchair by, by Saturday, so he can put in another uh, let's call it uh, encouraging performance for the, the, the league leaders who we all bow down to. Also, inform Hamburg <laughs> after two draws and one win against uh, Darmstadt. Uh, we'll play Augsburg. Do you think uh, Hamburg managed to lift themselves out of the relegation zone and get level on points with VfL Wolfsburg? Um, no, I don't. 
I don't really think that because Augsburg, uh, who are playing terrible football under Dirk Schuster, which comes to the surprise of, <laughs> exact, surprise. of, of exactly no one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that, but they know how to shut a game down and, you know, that if there was ever a Bundesliga fixture that had nil nil draw, uh, all over it, I think it's Augsburg Hamburg this season on Saturday or maybe even Sunday. If no, probably not Sunday because of the Europa League, but. It would have been a good excuse not to not to watch the game. <laughs> yeah, I I feel like there's a red card hidden in in uh, somewhere in that game. Uh, Hertha Berlin obviously still ahead of Dortmund will play Werder Bremen. Uh, do you think Dortmund can make up ground on Hertha on the weekend? No, nope. uh, Hertha are really stable. Bremen are terrible defensively as uh, always. <laughs> <laughs> or at, at least uh, as uh, as, as they have been club in, in, in the last like five or six seasons, they have been really terrible defensively, and nothing has changed so far this season from from what I've seen. I mean, Dortmund haven't played Bremen yet; they will only play them in January. So I'm not the the biggest expert, but whenever I see Bremen uh, on the on the TV, it's usually good watch because they don't know how to defend. So at least you see some goals. Yeah, but but Hertha, so but Hertha really good. So yeah. I I expect Hertha to stick around uh, in the in the top five six for the entire season. So that's going to be a, a bit of a challenge for Dortmund. Yeah, I think Frank uh, Frankfurt will play Hoffenheim. So two two teams that sit. Directly above Dortmund, Frankfurt uh, just one point ahead of Dortmund as our Hoffenheim. Um, so Dortmund will, you know, as logic dictates it, make points up on either team or at, at least one of those teams uh, if they win. Um, so who do you think will come out there as winners? I really like what I'm seeing from Frankfurt. I think uh, obviously people talk about Leipzig and uh, Hoffenheim because they have the youngest coach uh, ever to appear on the sidelines, but I think Frankfurt have made the the biggest jump just in terms of how they play football this season. They were really terrible, even under Kovac last season. In terms of playing football, were really lucky to get a, a reasonably easy draw in the relegation playoff uh, against Nuremberg. Nuremberg, yeah, right. Thanks. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, easy to forget. I know. Yeah. Um, but they are really playing nice football this season. The re-emergence of Marco Fabian, for example, has made a huge difference. So Frankfurt are very good on the eye. I think uh, Jesus Vallejo is probably the breakout player in the Bundesliga, the Real Madrid low knee center half. He's excellent. He was fantastic against Dortmund. He, I mean, he, I can already envision him and Rafael Varan playing together for the next 10 years or so. So. I, um, Frankfurt are really good, but you know Hoffenheim unbeaten so far. They they usually find a way to get at least a draw, and so I think I guess a, a draw between those two sides would be the perfect result for Dortmund anyway. So yeah, that would mean Dortmund would uh, leapfrog them and move into fourth place if they win. That is so. Yeah, then there's only one game left. I guess uh, that's worth mentioning, and uh, that's not Gladbach against Mainz, but uh, Schalke against Leverkusen. <laughs> um, Schalke right now seven points behind Dortmund in uh, eighth place, and uh, Leverkusen just in the same spot, just or you know ninth place, but level on points for Schalke. So that's a six pointer for their European hopes. I would say I don't know. Do you see anyone of Schalke or Leverkusen make it to the Champions League this season, including the top four? The Champions League, I that's really. 
difficult because I think Bayern, uh, Dortmund and Leipzig are basically given. Um, I didn't expect Leipzig to be this good this early. I mean, I, I was one of the few people who had them uh, fighting for Europe th in their first season, but they are even better than that. I mean, w we make fun of, of their lack of tradition and whatnot, but they are really doing incredible work on the pitch, which, you know, whether you like the project or not, and most people don't, but you have to appreciate the work they're doing on the field. Uh, so I think they they won't collapse so much that they drop out of the first three or four places uh, places in the table. And then there's there, there there seems to be too many teams this season who are playing well for someone to make a run in the second half of the season, like Leverkusen usually do under Roger Schmidt. So I I could really see one of Hoffenheim, Hertha, and maybe even Frankfurt uh, clinging onto that fourth spot. So can't really see it for for Leverkusen or Schalke this season, no. Yeah, I don't really want to extend this show too much, but I find it interesting, you know, now Leipzig obviously emerging and they are probably, uh, you know, they will stay there for good in, in, the, in the long term. And, and Bayer Leverkusen are now actually falling out of those Champions League ranks. Um, do you see that a big negative development for, for Bayer Leverkusen since you're living relatively close to that club? Uh, and, and their, uh, you know, future ambitions. Leverkusen always strike me as a club that doesn't even have real ambitions. You know, they, they're just there, you know. All right. I mean, uh, we've seen this script before. Their problem is only that there are too many good teams this season. I mean, their, their first half of the season isn't going too differently to seasons past under Roger Schmidt. So they usually, they, they suck in autumn, uh, get a few, important results that they're not too far away at the during the winter break and then make a flying start and really keep up their their level in the second half of the season and that used to be enough to come in at least fourth but this season I'm really doubting that yeah it might have to do with Leverkusen not playing internationally for much after the winter break and uh, you know you can see it with Leipzig as a high pressing team and I think we can describe Leverkusen as the same uh, that they really have a lot of energy and they also require a lot of injury and if you have to play these midweeks midweek matches you just don't uh, have that available all the time and I think that takes a toll on Leverkusen and uh, shows why they are so inconsistent maybe they don't have enough squad depth or I don't know what's going on there Schalke meanwhile a bit on the up uh you know won three games in a row then lost to Leipzig but weren't necessarily the uh worst teams so you know be cautious there would be good for Dortmund to uh, see Schalke and Leverkusen draw too obviously and uh yeah I think we can go from there and, and look forward to to the last three games so there's that so last I guess we've rambled enough now for about an hour and I will if, if you added if you added out all the the weird stuff and nonsense we talked it's probably just 45 minutes or so so <laughs> yeah like listeners I hope you enjoyed the last half hour <laughs> <laughs> um now at last uh with with all seriousness uh, was still great to have you on because otherwise we wouldn't have a show this Thursday because I sadly cannot make it any other day. So yeah, Lars was the only one available apart from me. So thank you for making the Yellow World Pod happen for the second time this week. Um So with that, you may tell our listeners where they can find your written work on the internet or are obliged to actually. That's what it is. 
they are obliged to. Uh, no, you are obliged to I, say I, that. I am. Yeah. I mean, uh, they can follow me on Twitter at Lars Bollmann, read my written work for bleachreport.com, and as I tend to say on occasion for yellowwallpod.com. And I apologize for some of my ramblings today. I'm not on my best day, I think. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> you just heard where to send the hate mail if you're also unhappy with my performance today. Uh, you can do that at Stefan Butzko on Twitter. Uh, you can find my writing on ESPNFC uh, and obviously on yellowwallpod.com on occasion <laughs> every now and then. And uh, if you want to listen to the podcast via iTunes, SoundCloud or Stitcher, you can do that too. And otherwise, you can find the show, of course, on yellowwallpod.com too, where you can also find the contact form. If you want to contact the show in general, please do that via Twitter at yellowwallpod or use our Facebook page, with which is also slash Facebook. And uh, last, I don't know if you're going to be around for the next show, but uh, we will hear from each other next week after, I guess, what will be a win against Cologne. With that, that was episode 165. Goodbye.